Welcome back. I'm Jacqueline Ogilvie, and I'm joined today with um, with me here is Dr. William Cowie. He's the former president of Ottawa Carleton Association for Persons with Developmental Disabilities and former lecturer in economics at Carleton University. Currently, he's the head of Every Canadian Counts Coalition, and we're talking today a bit more about the idea of a national disability insurance program that has been developed in Australia. Um, and we want to learn a little bit more about the ideas that the ECCC, or the Every Canadian Counts Coalition, has uh, around what this might look like for us here in Canada. Thanks, Bill, for joining me and for sharing your thoughts. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate this very much. No problem. So, Bill, can you start by telling us a little bit about what the Every Canadian Counts Coalition is uh, and this idea of a national disability plan? Well, it really stemmed from my experience as president of the of the uh, OCAPI, the Ottawa Carleton Association. Um, uh, I had been president for a number of years. I had uh, started there, uh, sat as a president, came back, went away for a few years, came back, and what was very evident to me was that the problems and um, that existed in my previous tenure were hadn't changed, were exactly the same. The discussions had, had, had uh, remained pretty stagnant for a very, very long period of time. And what was happening was there was incremental changes going on around the margins of the system, but the substantive problems of things like waiting lists, the inflexibility, the inability of people to move and take their, take their uh, um, supports with them or have them transferred, um, all, all of those you know, all of those problems that everybody is familiar with were basically not being addressed. And it seemed to me that the chronic issue at, at the root of all this was basically the funding problem. That there was a huge problem of funding, of just providing adequate resources. Consequently, the waiting lists were never getting addressed. The programs and support services being provided were based more on what could be provided rather than what was needed simply because of budgetary constraints and, and uh, inability to sort of train people to do the kinds of interventions that were necessary, all, all of those kinds of things. And the Australians came along with basically a different funding model for the sector, which I thought was something that Canada should address. And the, Canadian, or the Australian model is based on an insurance model. And as I've been reading about this, I think that's a real important key to, or key piece to talk about, um, because that really takes a shift away from uh, the funding that we currently know for disability services. Can you talk about why that is important and how that has changed the model? Well, the insurance model that you see with the NDIS in Australia is basically a Medicare model. It's exactly the same as our Canadian Medicare system. And the Medicare system works on a very simple principle. You go and you get assessed in terms of your needs. In the case on the Medicare side, of course, it's health needs. But in the disability side, you get assessed in terms of, you know, the challenges you're facing with your disability. And then, you, you, you know, you get, you get a sort of assessment of the supports that you would need in order to function to the fullest of your capability, given this disability, chronic, especially chronic disability. And instead of the bill for this going to you, the bill would go to the government and the government would pay for it. And that's the principle of Medicare and that's the principle of this. That's right, so a big, having a bigger pool of payers, mm -hmm. right? And money going yeah. into it. Oh yeah, um, so of course, yes, that's the other thing, the universality of it, of yeah. course, precisely what makes it viable is because everybody, everybody pay, pays into it 
and everybody benefits or potentially benefits from it. And what I thought interesting with them, think about it as an insurance model is there's um, ways of then predicting costs over a lifespan and adjusting for those risks, right? Which exactly correct. That's absolutely correct. It's, it's an actuarial model. You, you, you assess the, the need over a person's lifetime, okay? And, and this, is, this is a cradle-to-grave kind of approach. Uh, and uh, so you would assess need over the lifetime, uh, whether the person was born with a disability or whether the disability was acquired through whatever accident or whatever. And I don't want to necessarily get into all the details of a model because I know we're not talking about something that's up and live yet, yeah. but just in, you know, to have that kind of, ex that thought process, um, certainly as a developmental pediatrician, I'm working with children. How, how would we go about assessing that need and assessing the different need of a child born with a congenital um, or genetic syndrome that's going to have certain needs um, versus maybe an acquired thing that happens later in life. Um, and how would, what would that look like for children, childhood versus adulthood? Uh, well, I, I mean, the, assess the assessment tools, of course, for that kind of thing are the challenge for the pediatrician, and then they're going to have to sort that one out. I think that's that's something. Oh, thanks. Uh, and and, and uh, but uh, but I've heard some of your discussions, and I know you're very active and very engaged in that kind of. This is a very important issue for you. The fortunate thing about a disability insurance program, it would it would it would support your initiatives to do that to, I mean to help define and refine and because it's a constantly updating and upgrading its information and data I mean the, the thing about the insurance uh, an insurance site program is the data collection would be enormous and Australia has already proven that so there would be this interaction between the insurance program and the assessment tools and the intervention uh, techniques and so on that would go on on a continuous and ongoing basis so a program like this in your vision would allow for uh, more data collection and oh, an iterative process to feedback to service providers. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's shown it's shown to be the case. That's that's what's been happening in Australia. The other thing, the other thing that it does assess is it, it assesses outcomes. I mean, because it's a big system, there is performance requirements. So you will have a, an outcomes based approach to to uh, assessments. And if if interventions aren't working, they simply won't be funded. I'm just thinking about some services where um, there, it might be really snazzy to look at, well-marketed, could look really good, but there might not be the evidence. So as my role as a physician, wanting to advocate for you know, evidence-based interventions that people can access, what, what does that look like when in a system like this from, from what you know, or, or how, would we, how would we kind of monitor, should we monitor? Oh yeah, it, I mean, I, I think it would be, it's absolutely important actually from the mini, beginning of, of the launch of any of this kind of program that a performance framework and a performance management and assessment goes on all the time. It, it, it's, it's necessary to legitimize the process because people are very, very cynical about big government programs mm -hmm. and, you know, and we've had decades of, you know, wasteful government programs and so on and so forth. So performance management and oversight is absolutely crucial, but it's crucial in particular to the measurement of outcomes. So, you know, that'll be, that'll, be, that'll be key. The other thing that the Australian model did though, by the way, was because of the new infusion of funding, was enormous creativity and innovation uh, has been occurring in that people could afford to experiment a little bit and see what worked and what didn't. Uh, and, and, uh, and it opened up all sorts of new possibilities. In terms of interventions, you mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I'm wondering, who is, who would be the best person to do this outcome 
measure and be kind of monitoring that the services that are being uh, made accessible in the demand-driven market um, are meeting those requirements, are meeting the needs of the population that are trying to access them? Well, I think I think you've got. I think what you've got there is room for the development of a professional cadre of performance specialists. Actually, is what's going to happen. What can come out of this? I mean, it's like any government department. I worked in international development for a long time as a performance management and evaluation consultant on international development projects, and I could see the same kind of thing happening in in, in this sector, where you would get specialists, probably a lot of them with, you know training like your pediatric training, what all that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. who, who would be who would be experts at monitoring this kind of the, the these kinds of outcomes. I mean, that, so that consultants to government. Exactly. And, or yes. And or even consultants to the professional associations as well, because they'll be wanting they'll be looking at this as well. So what information do you think is needed before we even start thinking about what a program would look like? What data do you think needs to drive something like this? I think the request is for the data. I mean, we need to do the kind of research that was done in Australia by the Productivity Commission of the Ministry of Finance. They produced a 900-page report, uh, you know, outlining the costs and benefits of such a program, and we need that kind of report. But the thing we need even before that is we need to get the government and, and those in power to direct the Ministry of Finance and, uh, or some equivalent body to actually fund this research. And that's a political mobilization exercise. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to convince MPs, especially in the new house, to, to uh, support a research effort, uh, multi-million dollar research efforts. We're talking big research here to look at the cost benefits of such a pro program, like a Medicare for persons with disabilities, basically. Um, and, and with, with that uh, research, uh, then look at, at the what the uh, a design program might look like. But the, the, to get around to the MPs again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to link families who are having their horrible experiences of dealing with the disability sector, link up across in every EDA across the country with MPs and saying, look, we, you know, this system's got to change. The other thing too, and just sort of as a side issue is, we need to be aware of the fact that the families are increasingly less able to cope. They are smaller, they are more scattered, they're looking after elderly parents very often as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, for the first time in history, people with severe disabilities are outliving their caregivers, and they very often have absolutely nowhere to go, so they end up in senior citizens' homes, or in, in, if they're behavioral problems, they can end up in jail. Anyway, that's, you know, that sort of thing. And we could talk a few a minute or two about that. So um, you talked about you know funding being that kind of pivotal point that Absolutely. was was lacking and that would drive some of those other problems. Are there? Do you want to talk a little bit more about the gaps a program like this might fill and and what those downstream effects you envision being? Well, the gaps that it would fill. I mean, simply because more funding would be available will be the wait list for one thing. Mm -hmm. That's that's the most obvious one. But the gaps too are. It has to be partly a feeling of what I would call a cultural gap, is it would have to start to take it out of a welfare mentality and look at it as an investment, as a, from an investment perspective, as an investment. Um, and this is, this is actually one of the big transformative changes that happened in Australia. And I can remember one, uh, they, they do a lot of podcasts and interactions with the, with the disability community. And one of the remark one of the things that was really, really interesting early on was, when 
the NDIS, when the, the people from, from that program in Australia went to, to the parents, caregivers, and people with persons with disabilities and asked them what they needed, they actually had to stop and think because they never had actually been asked that before. They were always used to seeing what they could get. It was never a question of actually matching their need. So part of the gap that's being filled here is what I would call the cultural and attitudinal gap that an investment that this approach makes, which is absolutely fundamental if we're really going to make progress on this agenda. How yes. does the money for something like this get generated? I know in theory we talked about, you know, this is a tax-based system, right? Where it's taxpayers' dollars into a mm -hmm. national insurance program. Um, how much would something like this cost? What does, what does that well, look like? Before I answer that question, I would like to go back to the economics of it that you discussed. Sure. The thing that the Australians found was that this actually, uh, this was a money save. This was a money saving program compared to the old system. Tell us but more. also, it, con it contributed to the GDP. It contributed to GDP growth. It contributed to the labor force because people, you know, as I say, caregivers were allowed to go back to work because services were now made available. They didn't have to provide them themselves. So there was a and when they redid the study that they originally did back in 2010 and did the number crunch the numbers, they were dead on. They were absolutely right. It did was a net economic benefit to the country. But you are talking about a program on the scale of the pension plan, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. You're probably talking 15 billion, 20 billion, something like that. Uh, a combination of things, some of that will come from money already being spent that will already be rolled, will be rolled into the program. And the thing about the rollout of the program is that nobody will lose services as a consequence of it. That's, that's also very important to understand. But there will be money coming in from existing programs because they match NDIS object or, or insurance objectives rather. Um, but the other thing is there is there is a, there is a tax. Uh, there will probably be a surplus on the health tax or something like that. Is there anything else, uh, Bill, that you wanted to share with our our, our share with us today, or or little insights that I think you think are really important to what the work you're doing with Every Canadian Counts Coalition and this idea? Well, no, it's just, um, I guess I just asked, I, my concern is just for people to sort of step back and look at, at the situation in Canada right now. Look, 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 the fact is we have a system that is not functioning well and is probably in many respects getting worse. You've got reinstitutionalization back in Nova Scotia, that's sort of, Nova Scotia, you've got cutbacks at the provincial level, all that sort of thing. Uh, you've had, I will say you've had enormously positive progress at the federal level. Mm -hmm. They're engaged in very positive ways in a way we haven't seen in 30 years. It's been quite wonderful. It's a, just a question of, okay, let's go to the next step here. Keep so any, so, you know, like I say, help us with this program um, of linking families to MPs. I okay. think, I, I think that, 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 uh, Get them to say, you know, get, get, if you know somebody who's in having a particularly difficult time and not getting the services they need, have them write to their MPs and establish that link. And then, so when we go to talk to them and others in our, our alliance goes to talk to them, the MPs know what we're talking about. So let them hear the stories and the need. Let them hear the stories. Stories are stories are powerful, but I think also looking at the the big the big picture as you know different groups yes. are doing is, yes, is absolutely. both both ends important. So yes. um, to hold it together, great. Well, thanks for joining me today and, and sharing uh, sharing this idea, giving us some more information, some more background. It's been well, thank you. Really and, uh, and if any of you want to sign up as a supporter on our website, we'd certainly welcome it.